Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today episode is a special one because here the fintech will meet music tech and we're going to talk to Guillaume who is the founder of Vialma. It's a classical music streaming service. We're going to find out how is that relevant for fintech and finance and the business, how his business helps the artists and the consumers to get the best out of classical music out there. So I'm very curious to find out about something quite original and new like this. So how are you today? Great. Thank you for hosting me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Guillaume Descartes. I'm 39. I founded Vyama five years ago. And prior to that, I used to work in private equity and venture capital and French and Swiss. All right. And you mentioned you worked in private equity. When people go to banking, they dream about going to private equity or these days to venture capital. So why did you decide to start your own business and not to stay on as an investor? That's a very good question. I think actually that the, the truth is that I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I thought that uh, venture capital and private equity would be a very good uh, training in order to know how to do it. But then I quickly realized that being in private equity is like uh, flying on a plane and you look at problems from uh, the sky and there's a moment where you need to jump. And uh, so you jump with a parachute or without a parachute. It depends how prepared you are. In my case, I realized quickly that uh, even with all the hard work, despite all the hard work that I had put in the past, it was more without a parachute. There's a moment where you decide to jump. Okay, that's a nice way of putting it. So what is uh, Vialma? Are you a problem solver or are you uh, delighting the customers? What's the goal here? I think it's a very important question, what you say, because we don't always have to solve a problem. I think it's uh, it became a gold yeah. book or even the red book in a way, because it becomes almost compulsory for venture capital firms when they investigate your business. But when you open a three-star Michelin restaurant, you're not actually solving a problem. It's more about <laughs> what you bring to people and which is so valuable that you will create value. So on our side, we have uh, two businesses. First, B2C side of things and then a B2B side of things. For B2C, we enrich people's lives thanks to classical music and jazz by making it relevant to their activities, their interests and leisure so that we're both educational and inspirational. So it's uh, Americans have a, a very good way to put it. It's called edutainment. It's when you're educational as as well as entertaining. So we, we would definitely be on the side where we delight people and we bring them something meaningful for their lives. And for B2B, uh, because we built this uh, streaming platform, which costs uh, quite a lot of money, it becomes very useful for cultural institutions, which have the same issue as we have. They, they, they're bringing something, an experience which is extremely valuable to their audience. 
And so we empower cultural institutions in their relationship with their audience so that they can generate sustainable revenues online thanks to our platform that we sell to them as, as a white label. So the expression SaaS, software as a service, where in a way what we're doing is uh, streaming as a service. All right. So we'll get into this also where you are today and and all this and Generally, founders already reached a certain level. They'd like to talk about that and how it's going to be even better going forward. But I also would like to know for people who are just thinking about something, starting something like you, how have you started your venture? What were your very first steps? So we started a bit more than five years ago, and I must say that the first steps were very challenging. Some people might say that you always need to pivot one million times, but this is also another red book idea, I think. It's very important to be as flexible and as agile as possible. That's very true. But it can also make a lot of sense to build things step by step. So on our side, what we found at the very beginning of Yama is that we thought that people were not necessarily talking about classical music and jazz in a way which was relevant to people's lives. And so this is the first thing that we did. We built a newsletter, we collected some emails from Facebook, and we talked differently about classical music and jazz, which made that we had really nice statistics of engagement and some labels seeing what we were doing, trusted us. And so we signed our first agreements, which made that we could start to raise a bit of money to build uh, a proper streaming service, which helped us uh, get uh, some first genuine uh, paying subscribers. With that, we could uh, improve the customer experience because we had data, which uh, improved the software. So we had even more labels and more prestigious labels to come on board. And in a way, we made it step by step, trying as much as possible to be able to rely on those steps that we were making. It's like uh, having a brick of a wall made of bricks and you start with one brick per one brick and you try to make those bricks as, as solid as possible. And actually, I would really like to thank uh, the, the ones who trusted us uh, five years ago, because uh, when you have your three bricks at the very beginning and it doesn't look like a wall at all, uh, you have to be quite bold to trust uh, the guys who are building it. And so I, I would like to thank, for example, Nexus, uh, the first uh, distributor who trusted us at the very beginning of our journey. But if I rephrase it and zoom in on step zero, it sounds like you first built a community. Was this like a debate club or a chat room about classical music? And then you went to potential partners to uh, build a streaming service. Yeah, that's uh, exactly right. We we started by building a community online who was uh, very engaged and they were telling us themselves what they wanted to do and uh, and then we built the streaming service which would fit uh, which would fit that uh, the needs uh, and the desires of this uh, of this very first community. All right, then why Vialma, right? Why classical music streaming because sometimes when people want to start their business, they experience a problem and they test it with other people. There are other people who just read something and they see that, oh my God, this is growing. I need to be part of this. But I don't know whether classical music could ever trigger this. It is quite a different beast. Why this particular business? So first, for classical music and jazz and most art forms, actually, they are always dedicated environments before tech. So classical music lovers and jazz lovers they would have their own magazine their own venues their own radio stations so every single media has been uh, 
dedicated. And it goes the same with literature, with with the paintings. So in a way, it, it makes sense that there is a dedicated service. And I'm actually reverting to you the question. It's why not in a world where you have a general streaming services offering all types of music why not do the same that uh, in other formats so that's the first uh, that's the first thing and the second is that there is if you don't have a dedicated streaming service then as classical music and jazz are not the, the most prominent music form streamed today it makes that uh, the work of the artists are quite diluted and they and they don't have enough exposure and they don't have the means to to really create their own environment and be heard and that's why it makes a, a lot of sense to have a, a dedicated service. You were saying like how it it, it it links to the artist remuneration and the business model. It's thanks to dedicated streaming services for any form of music, actually. It doesn't have to be only for classical and, uh, and jazz, that the artists of those uh, music forms would be able to get a higher remuneration. So today, for example, we... We've been paying more than four cents per stream, so that's uh, 20 or 30 times more than what Spotify or Deezer or other general streaming platforms can pay to directly to artists and uh, independent labels. We would like to go even further than this by promoting a user-centric approach. And so uh, user-centric, it means that, which is actually what happens in life. You pay a CD in a store, the money goes to the people who produce that CD. And today with uh, streaming, when you listen to an artist, it would be all, it's diluted in a big pot. And so even if you stream only one artist, if uh, the rest of the world streams one million artists, it's going to dilute your own money as a customer into the big basket of streaming. With user-centric, the remuneration, what, you, what the customer pays would go directly to the artists uh, which was who were streamed. And we believe that it creates uh, way more value in two ways. First, artists are more in control of what's going on. And second, the labels themselves, they can better monitor what, how they, they promote albums and how they back artists because they will have a very clear visibility on the, on the remuneration and the return on investment of, what, of their production. All right. So maybe let's just rephrase the first thing. So you say the classical or jazz music fans, they have their own venues or outlets how they, for example, connect with the music, right? You can also put uh, kids into a music school. They like it and then they keep on liking it, uh, hopefully for the rest of their lives. Or they have magazines and press and networks and, and all that. And basically what you do is you digitize it. Yeah. So I think it's uh, it's even a better way to discover new classical music or if there is a new but something you didn't know before. So I understand that now let's press on a little bit on that dedicated classical music. You've already explained it, but maybe if we tweak it a little bit. So if you compare to biggest uh, or big streaming platforms, they have all kinds of music there, right? Mm -hmm. So there is a rock music, there is a pop music, all that stuff. I don't know about streaming service just for the pop. Would that make sense though for these big uh, companies? They have a same amount of overhead, right? Whether they add the classical music or pop or whatever and spread out this overhead over this kind of classical the categories of music rather than having a dedicated channel. On the other hand, if I were you, I would be fishing for an answer by mm -hmm. comparing it to the radios. 
where you have radios that are dedicated just to jazz or classical music. Mm -hmm. So how do they survive versus the general ones? There are also the pop and, and other things. How let's look at it from a perspective of a business as well. You're right. You said you don't they don't the artists don't have enough prominence on the general platforms, but what about the economics of running a business like maybe is this, does this difference that does this classical music really warrant a separate platform? Can that be better done on a Deezer? Maybe there are things have to be done and accommodated they haven't done yet or on Spotify. Or you think that you'll be big enough to, to survive and to thrive on your own? Okay, so one way to answer this is that I know quite well that people from Deezer really respect uh, what they're doing. It's a great job. And at the same time, as classical music and jazz are not that prominent out of uh, everything which is uh, streamed, on, on their side, they have one person uh, dedicated to curating content for, for classical music and jazz uh, lovers. On our side, we are five and we're a startup. So we're producing way <laughs> more content and our editorialization capacity is actually stronger than the, the leaders for a very specific uh, field. And today, the curation and the editorialization is, is very important because the biggest catalog of music in the world is not actually behind a paywall. It's YouTube. If the depth of catalog is, cannot be the unique client promise that you're giving to your customers, you need to give more. And this is where curation takes a huge part. Curation and original content. For original content in music, it's, uh, it's very difficult because there are so many recordings of Mozart, so you would need... The interests are diverging. An artist would not really... A musician does not have the same interest as giving an exclusivity for music than a film director would have in producing a film only for Netflix, for example. But... Curation and editorialization is uh, is absolutely key, and there is a time management issue for big players. And as classical and jazz represent uh, less than two percent of the total streams that they have, it cannot represent more than two percent of their of their time. If if we make it uh, super super quick. All right, and you talk about user centric, and uh, so who are your target customers or users in terms of demographics or, or other metrics that you look at? Mm -hmm. uh, so we have several personas. The two main ones we focus on today are curious minds and passionate music lovers. We think actually that in the classical world, people focus too much on experts and the expertise is, is it's not the same relationship. I'm crazy about wine, I'm passionate, but I'm also an expert and I'm not sure that I'm profitable for all my friends who have sellers because I compare the prices of the wine, I go online. I, there's always another way to find uh, satisfaction if you're really uh, an expert, but if uh, you're passionate and you're driven by your emotions, then there's the pleasure of sharing, there's the pleasure of living something together with other people. And if you're a curious mind, the curation and the editorialization, because you don't know that much, is absolutely key so that you don't get lost in the vast ocean of hundreds of thousands of works and hundreds of thousands of technical terms. It's like uh, you're entering a wine shop, if I can continue the parallel, and then someone would explain you straight away all the climates of Burgundy, you, you'll have a headache. And these would be our two main customers. Then in terms of age bracket, as you asked for demographics, we, we know that uh, classical 
music and jazz have a problem about age and that the population yeah. is aging with time and it's very important that the new generation comes in. So they would focus a lot on young people. We think that there's actually an intermediate stage, people who are 40, 40 plus and who used to, back in the days, one, two generations before, move on to classical music and jazz as they were getting older and they have a purchasing power. But they haven't done that switch in the past uh, generation, at least. We'd prefer to go to the Rolling Stones to a very expensive concert and to, or to listen to some nostalgic and some, some music from their, uh, from their younger days. And so we think that the first step is to accompany this, uh, this age bracket in making them understand how they will benefit from uh, delving into those uh, art forms. And, and that's our main focus today. And why? Also because they, they have a, a pretty high purchasing power and they would definitely be up for paying a subscription for Spotify for their children, for example. So they would have a family package and they would have their own streaming service uh, uh, on top of things dedicated to, to classical and jazz and to their own discovery. Just as I mean, much that's... as in the family, in the USA, people subscribe to Netflix, to Amazon Prime, to so the number of subscriptions with cable TV and SVOD is definitely not one. And so far, you in music, there is one service, but we clearly see today that there is an appetite for having several streaming services, which would bring you several different pleasures. That's very interesting because when I used to go before pandemic to Tonhalle here in Zurich for concerts, of course, you could see on a normal day, on a weekday, the, the audience average was maybe around 65. Mm -hmm. But then they also do quarterly events, which are called Tonhalle Late, and they are specifically designed to address this problem, be more accessible to young people. So the dress code is more relaxed. It starts at 10 p.m. It's one hour of classical music and one hour of some sort of electronic dance music and things like this. And they also align it with the film festival and things like this. That's where the young people come in. But the people around 40, 45, I don't think that there is any specific program for this or anybody thought about it, right? So you either go from 65 to below 30, but uh, in between, there are just a few people there. And, and also, good point on multiple streaming services. Uh, nowadays, you don't need to commit uh, for a year, right? You can mm -hmm. go back and forth every month. I've seen a research that in the US, the average streaming, the movie streaming uh, subscriptions is 2.2. It's not an annual subscription model, which leads me to my next question. How do you make money? And we already alluded to it that uh, there, it's a subscription model. But let's also talk about one thing which used to be maybe in the good old days that you had to subscribe for something for a year or you could uh, only get out of it after three months or something. Now I think it's a lot more flexible. So how is that for you? Though? Yep. So we, we sell subscriptions and we have different packages. So we have a package dedicated to classical or dedicated to jazz, which starts at uh, €5.90 per month or £5.90 per month. And, uh, and then you can get everything at €9.90, audio and video and classical and jazz. That's one thing which is very important for uh, Viama and for our customers is that we we're multimedia by design. It's something, it's a trend which is coming. Amazon offers music and video. Apple offers now video, music, video games, uh, sports, etc. So we, we need to bundle the, the formats. 
in order to create a genuine digital experience, which is which is really compelling. So these are our two price points. And for us, it's very important to have a price point which is below 990 because this is the, the target for all uh, streaming services, uh, Spotify, Deezer, they, everybody's at 999. And so if we want to make it interesting for people to have an extra one on top of Spotify, I think that doubling it by another one at 999 is quite difficult at the beginning. And then when they see the value, especially since we offer uh, a multimedia experience, which uh, would not be the case for Spotify, then this is where they will they will upgrade, but they, they would go step by step. So first uh, with an affordable price plan and then afterwards a full the, the full package. And on top of things, it's funny what you say about the need for flexibility. It's very true. So the ultimate layer actually is when people are very convinced that Viama is great, then they will pay yearly so that they can save two months and everybody has a nice, so everybody has an interest. It's also nice for our development to have the payment upfront and at the same time they make, they make some savings. So I, I think that every step of the way for, it's very important to offer something which is meaningful and sufficient to what your customers need at a certain point in time knowing that you'll be there as they will uh, progress and they will ask for more. So again, I was talking about this uh, staircase going step by step for the startup, for the journey of a startup. And I think it's the same thing for the journey of a customer. So that's on the B2C side. So monthly or yearly, if you subscribe yearly, you can save money. But what about the B2B? How does that work with them? Do you charge them a fee as well? Your business partners or, or what? Yeah, so we build white label streaming services, and it would be a it would be a flat fee renewed uh, yearly, just uh, just like a subscription. And and what's the example of white labeling? Are you going to say that you are Fnac streaming and it's Vialma behind it, or what? Well, actually, we do the streaming service of Opera de Paris for their private sponsor for their sponsors and their donors. We do streaming services for private banks, which would already have a, a pretty a big involvement in the arts and music and they would be able to they would need to talk about their values and uh, how art is uh, meaningful to them in a different way it, it's before covid of course but it's a it's a long-term trend covid accelerated a much anticipated switch from physical to digital but let's say in the 90s or early 2000 you would invite your customers with a uh, uh, special concert tickets with uh, champagne and you would have a chat uh, in between a theater play or, uh, or a music concert. And today you have to multiply the touch points that you will have and you have to be present in your customer's mind uh, way more often than just uh, bringing them to the opera once a year. And this is where Viama plays a role so that you can still express the same values about how you're sponsoring the arts and how meaningful it is for you, but at the same time on a much more regular basis. You don't have to be an art sponsor. So we work for companies which, uh, which are not that involved uh, with the arts, but they like the, their values fit in uh, a message, uh, sorry, fit in what classical music can, can bring. So for example, if you have among your values, uh, the fact that you're selling a peace of mind because your service is, uh, is helping people, uh, your customers go faster or uh, remove all the red tape, etc. Well, classical music is a nice fit because in everybody's mind, it's, uh, it's very relaxing. I have to say that not all classical music is, is relaxing. And I, I wonder if people would think that Wagner is a good fit, but you have some special tempos which fit in uh, very nicely to make people unwind. 
All right, which, you know, leads me to one small follow-up question. How is the sound quality, right? Because people who listen to classical music maybe are a little bit more demanding than if you listen to a dance music or something like this on the iPhone. So is, is this a, a point of debate or that sorted? Yeah, yeah. The minimum quality, like the lowest we offer, is uh, 320 kilobytes per second, which is the highest of Spotify, what they consider as uh, high quality on the mobile. And for us, it's a uh, default. And then you can listen in FLAC, which is lossless quality. And for mobile, for the moment, as long as there is not the 5G deployed everywhere, we don't think it's relevant to offer high res because some people might be ready to pay for it. But actually, the client promise of guaranteeing that they will be able to stream high res in good conditions is not uh, met. So we evolve as tech evolves and the bandwidth increases. We're totally up for the increase of audio quality. That said, I don't want to get too much uh, into technical details, but the CD quality was already way more than what uh, an ear can can cope with in terms of uh, sound at a given point in time. So it's already it's already great. We would not be the ones saying that other services have a desperately low audio quality and that it's uh, horrendous uh, and that it's killing Mozart. We it's not it's not the way we see it. The way we see it is the more you can, the better it is. But if we go step by step again. Uh, following this, uh, the same uh, reasoning. The first question is, why would you need to listen to Mozart during your day? And then second is, what would be the works which you would enjoy the most? Once you like a work, what, what, who is the performer who is doing the, the job which is the most meaningful to you? And, and we would never say at Vierma, this is the best performance because it's such a hard take to say such a thing. But we would say, what's the most meaningful performance uh, for you? For example, one of my most... Uh, my favorite pieces is a violin, it's the Beethoven's Violin Concerto. And he made a piano version actually before uh, releasing the, the violin, the, the violin concerto. And it's very rare. And uh, you've got some pianists trying this uh, piece and, and it's beautiful. It's very meaningful to, to me. And then ultimately, once you've done all this work and that you don't, you really don't want to miss on uh, on any detail of your favorite uh, performer, then this is where it makes a lot of sense to to have the best possible audio quality. All right, but if I summarize, did you say your default is the best Spotify level? Mm-hmm. Now you say to go higher up, it it depends because uh, you don't have the, the the internet everywhere, but or the, in terms of five G, etc. But what if nowadays people work more from home? They have a Wi Fi, etc. So is this going to is this worthwhile to go and upgrade for uh, for a better quality if you're at home and you listen to it on a Wi-Fi? I I would always recommend people if they can to invest in a better audio system for sure for sure. But and and that's why also we're offering lossless. So it is Apple just uh, announced this week that uh, they would do lossless at the same price at 990. We've been offering this for a, a very long time already. So we're totally up for quality. My, my point is that quality cannot be only restricted to audio and technical quality. Actually, you've got some jobs in the music world. Nobody talk about it, but it's uh, it's paramount. Brendel, he would never travel without his uh, piano tuner, and uh, he would. Uh, and I know a lot of great pianists who would pay very close attention to who's tuning the piano. They would never record anything without a sound engineer that they haven't checked before, because it's uh, it's absolutely key. You have to before you have a very high output, you need to. Have have an input which is uh, the best and that requires it's it's a proper 
it's a proper skill, which is very demanding to be a very good sound engineer. And, and so I, we think that it's, it would be unfair for music and for any art which requires uh, audio to rely on the technical side of things. And we, that's why I was saying like we, we would always promote that the, everybody plays a role in a listener having an amazing experience listening to uh, a performance. Maybe, again, from a, a simple user experience. So you say not we shouldn't focus only on the technical aspects. Of course not. It's just It was just one question. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's all encompassing question. So the other one is, all right, which uh, pieces do I like? Uh, what music do I like? And then who performed it? So first thing is, if I then compare it to Netflix or anybody else, they also have suggestions for you even though they say these are suggestions and based on what you watched before. By the way, I may have watched it, but I didn't like it. But fair enough. They also say if you rate, you will get better recommendations, right? Is this part of your creation process as well? Maybe let's say I had the 10-year break from classical music. I, ran, I remember something and then I'll start listening to it on your platform. Will your then platform tell me, more tips like this that I could like? That's one question. And the second thing is, what about the performers? Let's say that I do like certain performers. Can I search by those or can I uh, mark them as favorite and, and uh, look for music this way? That's uh, basically leads me to what I wanted to ask. Can you find your favorite compu com uh, composer there on your platform in under 30 seconds? If you listen to something, then we always have recommended content, of course, which would be more depending on your tastes, uh, of course, but also on the time that you have. So it would be a work, an album, an article with music or a video. So we, so it's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit broader. And as time goes, we'll invest more on our, on our algorithm. Then for the performers, I, I can't even tell you how many performers we have. It's, it's tens of thousands. So we hope that we have the one that you want and that you'll be able to find him. And the ultimate question was, can you find it in less than 30 seconds? We're definitely working on it. It's one of our obsessions, finding as quickly as possible something you will like. It doesn't mean something you liked and you want to listen again. It's uh, something worth your time afterwards and that's a, that's a, that's a great challenge which requires not only uh, music skills it's also the the products and the customer experience everything is everything is involved and so today is it less than 30 seconds no and does it have to be less than 30 seconds i don't know i would say that anything in less than 45 minutes one minute so that you still have some time to to have a choice basically and to weigh different possibilities that would be great what we're trying to do is that there's a if we compare with netflix the, the the time to pick something with my wife is probably a topic of divorce actually <laughs> so i i know that a lot of people uh, are facing this spotify uh, sorry netflix is arguing that they're actually doing a super good job in making people choose super quickly so i i, I we wouldn't have stats about how it goes for other services but uh, it's true that uh, it's it's uh, it's super important it's super important all right then so what is your favorite piece of classical music? You already mentioned uh, one or two examples. Uh, you hinted maybe a less uh, favorite as well. So which one is the most favorite? <laughs> so my, my favorite composer would definitely be uh, Beethoven. His life, uh, what he had to go through, is a, is a source of daily inspiration for me. And uh, so all of his music, I would say, if I had to go on a desert island, I would I would ask to have at least one recording of all of his works. And, and if I have to name just one 
piece in particular, I think I think it would be uh, his violin concerto, as as I said, especially the first movement, which which is. Uh, I, I don't know if it's the best piece, but it's the very first time I was a teenager. It's the very first time that I understood how music can be like this emotional elevator and that you can go through so many emotions just in, in 10 or 15 minutes. It's, it's, uh, it, it's crazy. And for this particular piece, it's, it's more than an elevator. It's like a, a spinning machine. It goes, it goes, you fast forward so much. So the, I would say the intensity really struck me. And I, it's one of the pieces I go back to very often. You can definitely, for those who want, you can send me an email at gt.vma.com. I will, uh, gladly offer you a trial and some recommendations about my favorite performances for this particular piece oh brilliant so this is uh, the great idea now i'm going to be the the party pooper and, and bringing you back to the ground right so where are you <laughs> on your journey in terms of fundraising the money the hiring things like this Okay, so we raised uh, 3.5 million euros so far. We are 24. We're fully remote, so if you want to join Vienna, you can be wherever you want in the world. We've got people, we've got a great developer in Vietnam, another one in Nigeria, a team in London, in Paris. COVID, of course, accelerated much of this. And so currently we're looking for a senior growth manager and a UX researcher or product designer, depending on your background, and uh, as many B2B partnership managers as possible. Yeah, so wonderful. So where can then people find you, find out more about Vialma and uh, the job, job opportunities you mentioned? So they can, so on my LinkedIn profile, but my last name is so complicated, D-S-C-O-T-T-E-S, they will see the job offers or they can send me an email, gd at vialma.com. All right. So thanks for repeating the email again. And anyway, I'll put the links in the show notes as well. So thank you very much, uh, Guillaume. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.